Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Instruction Podcast. This is episode 28, July 2011, and uh, it's a lovely summer afternoon here in um, Georgia, North Carolina, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. I hope it is where you are as well. Um, I'm Jason Puckett. I'm the communication librarian at Georgia State in Atlanta, and we'll introduce our regulars, and then we'll, uh, we'll introduce our guest for this month. Hi, this is Anna Vanskoig. I am a part-time reference librarian for a county library system in central New Jersey, and I blog at firstconclusions.com, and I'm on Twitter at Anna Van. I am Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian at American University, and I blog every now and then at ilquest.blogspot.com, and I tweet at butternutsquash. Our guest this month is Linda Kellum from UNC Greensboro. Welcome, Linda. Hi, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Awesome. Great. We're glad you wanted to join us. Um, Do you want to say a little bit about uh, where you work and what you do and stuff? Sure. I work for uh, Jackson Library at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and I am the Data Services and Government Information Librarian. Um, I also support the Political Science Department and work with our interns, our graduate student interns who work in the library. How big is uh, UNC Greensboro? We have 17,000 students, so it's a mid-sized university. Okay, cool. Not too large. And, and do, you want, do you want to plug blogs and websites and stuff? Oh, sure. I um, uh, blog at two blogs. One is uncgdataland.blogspot.com, which is a data blog um, focused mostly for the UNCG uh, community, and then also at lindamk.com which is just my personal blog, and then I'm also on Twitter at LindaMK. Great. Well, uh, we're, we're glad you could join us. We're going to talk about um, uh, data services and um, data in instruction. Usually we, we like to do a little kind of update about how everybody's summer's going and stuff like that. Um, Linda, are you busy with teaching at all at this time of the year? No. I've taught one class um, for a political science class, but nothing else. Try to take most of the summer off if I could. <laughs> 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 to get ready for the fall and all the instruction we'll be doing in the fall. Right. I just got a request for um, seven journalism classes in one week. And in fact, it's uh, when, when fall starts. And in fact, it's um, a short week. It's going to be a three day week for me because it's Labor Day week and I'm taking one extra day off uh, after Labor Day for. We have. Um, well, Dragon Con is going on here in Atlanta, and I always have friends come in for that. So, in a three-day week, we've got—I've been booked for seven classes. I had to beg some colleagues for help, so um, I'm actually doing four classes in three days. So that will be much more doable. Good for you for getting some help, though. That's awesome. I, you know, you know I think so many times we take it on ourselves, and and you know, bring in bring in the colleagues. 
I, I never ask for help with this stuff because I know my colleagues are always as busy as I am, but, um, but it takes a village, I, Jason. I know, <laughs> I know it, it takes a village at GSU. So I was, I was sort of freaking out to my boss and she was like, why don't you just ask for some help? I was like, Oh, <laughs> you can yeah, do that. <laughs> okay. I, I guess I could do that. Couldn't I? And then I had, I had more, I had almost as many volunteers as I had classes. So I had to actually turn away some volunteers. So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was really great. I have, I have wonderful colleagues and I'm, if any of them are listening, I'm very grateful to you all. What, so what else uh, What else are you guys working on this summer? Anybody? Well, I think I've, I've totally mentioned it before, but I'm super excited about it, and it's totally what I've been thinking about. But <laughs> we're doing our first-year orientation for the very first time at American. Um, on oh, that is exciting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. It just started from me being like, hey, we should do something to form a committee. To Right now we're finalizing the activities that they're going to do they're going to and it's a pirate theme so they've got a treasure map (laughs) yeah they're like picking up plastic doubloons and then turning them in to pay off a fine at the circulation desk and you know we've got all all very mascots involved and i get to wear a monkey costume and i am so thrilled and i'm gonna come but regardless great time so I'm sure I will tell you guys all about it dating detail. Okay, uh, anything that involves a monkey costume, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have pirates everywhere and a robot and a ninja who's going to be instructing everyone about um, the different noise levels. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he's going to be up on the quiet floor. <laughs> uh, I can't wait. That's you should put up pictures on the blog of that. I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah okay. I was going to say we're 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 going to need a picture for the uh, the ALI blog of the monkey totally. costume, please. <laughs> Doom ordered it yesterday, so <laughs> we'll see. He looks kind of like Kurt. He was the least scary monkey I could find. The least scary. There's a lot of scary ones out there. Yeah, turns out. But yeah, our uh, the head of the library won't be there, but he wants to Skype in so he can talk to students. <laughs> but, oh. I will definitely take pictures. Oh, see, I think that's neat that he's going to... Is he really going to Skype in? He wants to, yeah. He's going to be in Nigeria, actually, but wants to Skype in from there. That's yeah. funny. I know. But so this high is a, our... our uh, the head of the library... Uh, most recently came in a banana suit to a staff um, thing, so... Sorry, let me let me interrupt, well, Rachel. Anyway, yeah. Ra- Rachel, your your audio is dropping in and out for me. Is that happening for everyone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh no. Are you I'm on? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's happening for me when you guys are speaking too. I, I don't really know what to do about it. I think maybe it's your Wi-Fi. We'll just have to cope. So. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. No, we, will, we'll... we will persevere. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, you got the gist of what I was saying. Yes. <laughs> Pirates and monkeys. And that... Pirates and monkeys, be... right? <laughs> and the balloons. Literally. <laughs> Freaking monkey fabulous. <laughs> uh, I can't really top that. I've kind of been teaching. Oh, I, I can't. I'll just be honest. I've uh, been very consistent through the summer. I have my monthly um, program that I do with our, it's our senior community center. I, it's, uh, it's called Seniors Connect. And so I've been doing that once a month. And last month I did genealogy resources online, which was completely new for me. And 
I don't know if any of you have ever taught that, but it is so hard to prepare for it because you get sucked into doing your own family history. I mean, it was crazy. (laughs) My husband's like, are you still preparing for that? I'm like, yes, but let me show you what I found about my great-great-great-grandmother from Syria. He's like, oh, my God, Anna, let it go. But it was. It's so, yes, it it was somewhat ugly in the household for a while. But anyway, we've moved on. And um, I've still been doing the ones, kind of the tech topics, uh, about one program a month for our library. And I've had a branch ask me to come out. I've actually been traveling. I'm the itinerant uh, librarian right now. I'm traveling to other branches and doing some programs, which is nice. So I get to do more teaching. So it's been, uh, it's been good. It's been good. Good, good. I like teaching. Bring it on. <laughs> well, I haven't what actually. have you been teaching? Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Say that again. What have you been teaching at the other branches? They're interested in the social networking, um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Those are the three that I've been doing, um, doing one session for each one. I, I don't know how anybody could do all three in one session. I just think that would be overload. Um, yeah. But, I mean, even for these smaller branches, I mean, we've been getting like 15 people in, which is pretty good, I think. So it's not a class per se. It's a more presentation and it, but anytime you do Twitter or Facebook, there's so much Q and A that it's one of the most interactive classes I do. Um, so I'm hoping it'll kind of span out because I am doing other things. Like I'm talking about picnic. I talk about the you know the genealogy resources one. I've kind of been broadening my uh, arsenal, so to speak. Uh, I mean, social networking's fun, but after a while, you're like, and here's Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> this is a retweet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not that boring, but still. It's, um, I'm trying to broaden a little bit more. And now there's Google Plus. They just, you know, they yeah. keep coming up. <laughs> that's, that's job security for your, um, technology workshops. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Well, I don't think I've taught in at least a month. Um, you know, this, this being time of the year, it's just, well, finals week is just finishing up really. Um, I've, I'm actually working from home today. I took a, a research day and I'm working on a paper for a competition for, um, a, uh, uh, state conference that's coming up uh, in the fall. And um, I'm also, oh, I've got a, a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, just very briefly, uh, you can see on my blog, uh, jasonpucket.net, um, I've got a little plug in for a, uh, a conference uh, presentation I've got coming up on September 12th. And um, friend of the show, Sarah Steiner, and my colleague at Georgia State uh, and I are going to be talking at a lyricist conference. Um, the conference theme is positioning your library in the mobile ecosystem, and we're talking about um, some of the uh, the new technological library services we've implemented in the last you know three years or so since I've been there, and like we've done a whole revamp of the website, and Sarah's our virtual reference coordinator, and um, we're going to talk about all that stuff and what we're doing with LibGuides, and so you know nothing like really ground shaking as far as as new technologies are concerned, but we're going to talk a lot about implementing and planning and all of the all the people that we've gotten involved in doing all this stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. And um, the other thing that uh, I haven't even told uh, you guys about yet is that, well, this isn't that exciting, but... Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not changing jobs or anything. 
Um, I was just asked to co-coordinate uh, that camp here in Atlanta in uh, November. It's that camp museum computer network, despite the fact that I have no museum background whatsoever. Uh, but I'm going to be the, the co-coordinator for that, and um, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, kind of being on the other side of, of uh, that camp and, and, you know, doing some of the event planning and stuff. So uh, we'll post, I'll post links to all this in the show notes, but... Um, Anyway, I just found that out yesterday, so I think that's very exciting. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Center for History and New Media. Uh, actually, Amanda French, that I know Rachel worked yep. with, and Anna, I think you might have missed working with Amanda at Emory, um, but she's a former colleague of ours from Emory. Um, she is the That Camp Coordinator for Center for History and New Media, and she just contacted me this week and asked me to do this, so... Anyway, so when, when is this? It's in um, November, and I can't remember the exact date right now, but I'll uh, I'll make sure and post it. Cool. Yeah. So, shall we dive into our topic? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, Rachel has been so she's been on pins and needles. I've hey, we've never done a science anything that's like that. You know, is science oriented at all? So. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I am a social scientist, so. That's fine. It's sure it my all true is, is relevant, but yeah, it's something definitely. that I've been hearing about in STS, which is the science and technology section nice. um, okay. of ACRL. Yeah. But it's definitely bubbling up as a, this is definitely an issue for a lot of students, and it's something that I think is going under the radar. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, like I said, I'm the data services librarian, so it's part of my duty is to keep an eye out for the data needs, and I do mostly data discovery at UNCG, um, but also uh, we've been talking more about data management and other kinds of issues um, that are becoming more common, I think, also in the science areas. So. Okay, Linda, my Did role you? in the podcast is to ask really, really dumb questions because okay. there's just, I just, I, I, I'm like, this, what do you mean by data discovery? Okay, um, well, I... At UNCG, because it's a mid-level university, I work with people on finding statistics a lot of the time. Uh-huh. So I'll do things like uh, mine census, go in and look for things that are in the census, or use our numeric databases to find things. But I also work with data sets. So if somebody is wanting to do a research project uh-huh. you, and do secondary data analysis, then I will help them track down a data set that would be appropriate for their particular questions. Um, and we use a lot of, in our case, we're using ICPSR, which is mm-hmm. the Inter-University Consortium for Political and Social Research, um, to, to find, to, to track down those data sets. Um, it, we don't have access to a huge number of resources because of our size, but, um, that is a common one for most, most libraries, or academic libraries. Now, I am, you know, a general reference librarian, and I know nothing about numeric data services and sources. It would be really useful if there were some kind of a book about this <laughs> for the general <laughs> reference librarian. Have you have you thought about, you know, have you has anybody ever asked you that question before? Well, actually, they did, and um, that's why I wrote a book. You wrote you- a book. You did write a book about. My gosh! That's great. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Um, so I just, this was published actually in June. I got back from our data conference. It was sitting in my mailbox. Um, and uh, it was, st- I started it about two years ago, the project. Um, and do you want me to give you, I can give you the back history of why this was even started. Yeah, please uh, do. Okay. 
I work with an organization called iAssist, which is the data professionals organization. Uh, and I started working with them about four years ago. And I noticed that there were a large number of new data librarians, people who were working in the social sciences and told to take over data services or who were government information librarians and asked to take over data services. And there, a lot of us were a little bit lost on what we needed to do and what that meant and where to go and what kind of resources were out there for us. And uh, there's not a lot. You know, there's some articles here and there, and iAssist has a journal that has a lot of great articles that we could use for our work, but there's nothing that kind of brought all that together. Um, and so I um, had approached Shandos with this idea about writing this book that would be a guide for numeric data services and sources, um, and they they agreed to it, surprisingly, and came out of it. Um, you want to say something? Yeah, well, I, you know, it seems like I've been hearing more and more about, you know, data librarianship just in the last couple of years, and and this seems to me like it's a growing area, um, uh, you know, in the profession. Is is this? I mean, how how long have you been a data librarian, and how long has has this been sort of a a common thing? We just hired a a, a data librarian, I think, less than two years ago at Georgia uh-huh. State. Oh, oh, right, Joe Merck, Joe, uh, Joe Hurley. Yeah, okay, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, I started four years ago, okay. and before, that was probably when most of the li- data librarian positions started coming out um, in the smaller schools. Before that, you could you would see them. I mean, Princeton has always had one. Uh, Berkeley has always had one. Stanford um, for a long time. But it wasn't until the mid-2000s when people, schools my size and smaller started saying, hey, people are using data, people are, are doing secondary data analysis, and we need to play a role in that in the library. Um, and so a lot of schools, Western Carolina University, North Carolina, or UNCG, um, Georgia State, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a huge number of schools started hiring data librarians. K-State now has one uh, position open. Um, and it, it but the problem was when they started opening these positions, they didn't really have people who were trained, um, especially out of the library schools. They weren't trained to necessarily take these positions. Um, so the skill sets weren't necessarily at the place where people needed to be to be able to take over and hit the ground running. Um, and a lot of us, if you look at our backgrounds, the ones who are, have been in the past four or five years, a lot of us are formal social scientists who... Um, were either in a graduate degree somewhere and decided to go into librarianship um, or were working, some people were working in uh, policy, working, one person in particular, Catherine, who was in the book as well, who wrote a chapter, um, she was working for the Department of Education and then went back to library school. And she was a policy analyst in the Department of Education. Um, so it's been real hit or miss as far as people being able to hit the ground, like I said, hit the ground running and know exactly what it is that they would want to do with their position or where they could go with their position. So that was really the goal of this is to help people who are either starting out as data librarians or if they don't have the ability to hire a data librarian or if it's a social science librarian who is newer to data, that they could do something with it, that they could get started. So are you guys supporting things like SAS or Um, being a data librarian? We support, well, I help people with SPSS because that's my best knowledge. Um, I've been trained in SAS, and so I could do some work with it. But that really, in my school, um, 
it's primarily an IT support issue. Um, and then there's also a statistical center that helps with that. Um, and that's part of the, what this book gets into is kind of um, where do you draw the lines? You know, where, where do you decide that this is the service that I'm going to offer? Um, and then this other service is going to have to be offered by someone else, either in statistics or in IT or something, or by a graduate student from econ. I mean, that would be another our graduate students have better SAS knowledge than you do. <laughs> because I know in some places, when I was at UNC in Chapel Hill, they would have, you could go to the library and you could get the data, but I remember having to go, and I cannot remember the name of this, and I feel terrible because they were such a great help to me. Like, I had the data, but they really helped me run the analyses, like figure out yeah. which analyses to run. So I kind of had had the, the meat, what I needed, but then they helped me get what I was looking for out of it, basically. Mm-hmm. And are you kind of doing both of that then, or just more the the former? Um, I do both to an extent. I can't help people run their analysis because it, it gets into the issues of that I'm not trained for. I'm not a yeah. statistician. And I'm not. Um, my background isn't complete when it comes to actually doing the analysis. Um, so in that particular area, it would be something that we at UNCG, we would have to fall back onto the professor to help them run the correct analysis for their data or for their research. Um, at some schools, though, they have really nice, I mean, the larger schools, they're able to have these really nice um, triage um, kind of things where they have someone who is the data discovery person. New York University is the one that really comes to mind. Um, but they have somebody who does data discovery, and then they have some another place that helps statistical analysis. So it's actually called, I think, the Data Services Studio. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear about this book because I think if most universities are anything like AU, I feel like our students are being asked to find that original data much more often than they used to so that they can manipulate it and produce their own graphs and come to their own conclusions. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, we're often like, I don't know how to find where the nearest water source you know, in Nigeria is like, (laughs) there's so much data and it's so spread everywhere. And that's what, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm just really excited that this book exists because awesome. (laughs) Well, this, I mean, the thing is too, is that we do, we have a sources chapter and that's what Catherine um, wrote, Catherine Peter from um, university of Southern California. And she, um, she does an amazing job of going through um, different kinds of sources at different levels, as much as you could within a book this size. I mean, we were at a size limit too. Um, but talking about, you know, how do you think about who would collect this? You know, who would ask this question? Who would be interested in this particular thing? Um, because, I mean, you, you have to ask this question somewhat for any kind of research, but when it comes with data, you really have to focus in and, and think critically about where this is going to be. Um, there's not a lot of tools to help you do that. And this is one, hopefully one tool that we would be able to do. One thing that's missing from here, and you, you, you might be able to be interested in this, is actually doing a science version of this. Um, that I couldn't yeah. get into the science sources um, within this book. And we are explicit about this as a social science data book. Um, but uh, that's definitely an area that could be done as well. I think... Um, should be done soon too because <laughs> more and more people are going to have to look for that kind of yeah and I don't know you guys probably aware but there was a fairly recent um, NIH mandate yes. that data sets be published 
along with um, scientific publications that are funded by NIH Research, which is kind of flummoxed everyone. We yeah. were we were just talking about that uh, at my institution. We recently had a subject librarians retreat where we went and had like an all day meeting with different sessions and discussions and activities. And one of the things that we did at the end of the day was we had read an article about data curation, and we were talking about the data sets and what you know what what are we supposed to be doing about this you know what are the uh the humanities librarians we're all completely baffled by this you know i've I've got an english degree i don't know what to do if you ask me for data besides call my colleagues who are social scientists but um yeah so i think this is um really well timed for this uh uh you know this this resource to come up about working with these. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that makes sense, that it should be available. If it's funded right. by a grant, Sure. Yeah. and, you know, the, yes, that those people probably ran their analyses with it, but then it's just sitting there. You know, I mean, just think about the other analyses that people could come in, and if they want to do a comparison, you know, like um, something that they did, they do the same thing, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. And I think, I, it, it just, to me, it seems like getting a handle, and aren't some of those data sets out there, like ones that are just housed, like, you know, so-and-so has, like, a data library, for lack of a better term. I just know that mm-hmm. I emailed Rob O'Reilly one time, and um, he was at Emory, and I was up here, and I had a gentleman looking for a global view on, um, oh, what was it? It wasn't greenhouse effect, but it was something with uh, uh, global warming. And he was looking at different parts of the country, and he asked me the question, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I emailed Rob O'Reilly and I said, do you know any data sets out there that would give him some of this information? And he's like, I have the raw data at this site. And it was like some, for lack of a better word, open source um, data set that was available through some international organization that had been collecting it. But it was just the raw numbers. I mean, the patron had to go. I'm like, here's the numbers. But he had to end up going to... Um, I think he went over to the, one of the colleges in the area to ha- get help with the analyses that he was looking for. And it just seems like it's hurting cats, like finding these different data sets. Like you were saying, thinking critically, who would collect such information? Where where could I think about going for this information? And is it available? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, we do, in, there's a chapter on instruction. It's called, I forget what it's called, but it's on patron interactions. And so it's kind of the instruction and the, the reference interviewing chapter. Um, and it talks about those kinds of things, you know, just like which agency, which levels, what time period do you really think is going to be feasible? Um, oh, yeah. What geography was is going to be feasible? And I get questions all the time about people who want data at, a, at the MSA at the Metropolitan Statistical Area. And they're that's not necessarily something that you can and geography that you can get lots of data at because it's really mostly focused on census questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing just those kind of basic things is, is, isn't, I don't think should just be the purview of a data library and it has to be a joint effort for all of reference and instruction in some ways um, to at least have an awareness of the issues that come into this kind of information um, and thinking through them. But I, I want to give a shout out to Rob O'Reilly. He's really awesome. He's actually in the book, as part of the day in the day, day in the life of a data librarian, um, and Joe Hurley as well. So we're, it's a very small community. We know each other. Oh, that's well. cool. Two, so yeah. two of my colleagues and former colleagues are in there. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, since this is a podcast about instruction, let's let's maybe talk more about the uh, the teaching component to this. Um, I mean, is this something that you're introducing at the undergraduate level? Is this mostly graduate students that are working with this kind of stuff? I mean, I would guess it's largely graduate students, but but do you have undergrads as well? Well, I, I like to think of it in towards, terms of a tiered approach. Um, I work mostly with political science, and so the students in there are going to be working with data at some point. Um, if they're a political science major, they're going to have to use it at 300 level and 400 level. And so for me, I really, in the 200 level, start talking in, in instruction classes, start talking about statistics and, you know, where do these come from? Who are generating these numbers? How do they generate these numbers? And also citing them because people forget to cite statistics when they write their papers a lot of times. Um, and so doing that basic stuff at the, at that level. And then as we work our way up, um, some undergraduate departments, geography, economics, political science will work with data sets. Um, sometimes those are canned data sets. So the professor creates something and then gives it to the students to do analysis on. Um, but more and more we're seeing, I think it was, um, I'm not sure if it was Rachel was saying this, but more and more we're seeing students having to do their own secondary analysis and having to go out and find their own data sets. Um, but at our, at my university, it really is a graduate level, uh, phenomenon and the econ department, economics, and then also we have a human, HD, a human development and family studies department, and they do huge amounts of data work there. Um, are there humanities disciplines that are using this stuff at all? Yes. Uh, there's actually a, one of my favorite archives. Um, it's a, the ARDA. It's the American Religion Data Archive. Uh-huh. Um, and, or sorry, it's Association of Religion Data Archives. Um, and it is a wonderful resource for doing that tiered instruction because it lets you do, run... Um, it lets you look at the statistics, and then if you're really interested in this topic on religion, you can actually download the data set that's associated with it. Now, the data sets are built to be more social science in the sense that they're looking at society and religion. Um, but that's one area where we, in our department we're seeing, our religious studies department is using this more and more because they are trying to connect these two areas, the social sciences and the, the religious studies part. Um, there's also one called Sea Panda, um, which I would have to look up <laughs> the actual name. Um, it's run out of Princeton University. It, Cultural Policy and the Arts National Data Archive. That's an uh, awesome name. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, and I, I'm not—I've not used that one as much because we have more of a performing arts school. We don't have as much of a history of arts, art history. And so that one in particular, I haven't used as much, but I think it would be an ideal place for people who are doing arts or humanities who are looking at that in relation to societal changes and things. One of the challenges for me as in my role as communication librarian, and I've maybe talked about this kind of thing in other classes, in other episodes before, is that it gets so interdisciplinary. I mean, I guess it's it's nominally a, a humanities discipline, but it gets so much into social sciences and sometimes you know, business and other areas as well that it's really, it's tough for me to get a handle on all of the different resources that students need. We had, uh, there's a class that is taught regularly at Georgia State that's, um, I forget the name of the class, but it's either a three or four hundred level class where they have, where students have to do um, health research. 
and um, there's a health research class. There's there's a couple of classes that are doing like demographics type of questions where they get into data research. And um, my colleague, who is our sociology librarian, showed me the general social survey. Is that the yeah. name of it? Do I have that right? And running reports off of that, and she, you know, she sat down with me for half an hour and really just kind of blew my mind. The idea of teaching some, uh, you know, a, a, a complicated research tool like that to undergraduates who are are not used to doing that kind of research must really, really be a challenge. Um, and I'd be interested in hearing kind of what your your approaches are as far as teaching goes and, and you know, classroom exercises and other stuff. Right. You well, said you've got a chapter on, on that, right? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a short chapter on the um, instruction part. Unfortunately, that's something that could be, I think, an entire book probably on its own. Um, but for me, it's been really important to try and get into the classroom assignment and not so much focus on the library instruction session and what all I can do in that. Um, and so in helping my faculty develop assignments that incorporate these sources um, in ways that I think is admittedly doable. And I think my faculty tend to listen to me as far as whether or not I think the students will actually be able to do something. Um, that's That's been the most fruitful times um, for me. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't think you can go into, it would be much harder to go into a classroom and say, hey, we're going to talk about general social survey today, <laughs> and you're going to learn it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to try to do that. Yeah, no, no. And I think it, it, it just would not work out. But if you had some way that you could tier it, you know, so that you could say, all right, at the beginning of the semester, we're going to look at this, we're going to look at general data sources and talk about what is data, you know, what are data sources and uh what does it mean to have this data set? What do you do with this data set? How do you cite this data set? That kind of thing. And then later on get into the nitty gritty of working with the data and also consultations. I do, I do, last year I did over 250 consultations with people. Wow. Um, so much, I don't teach a whole lot. I taught about 40 classes in the year, which is not a lot at UNCG because we do a huge amount of library instruction, but I do a you know, I'm second into the business librarian and the amount of consultations that I do. And most of his consultations are data as well. Um, so it's just, it's, it's gotta be in a lot of ways that one-on-one, you're just not going to be able to do a lot more in the, as much in the classroom as you might be able to with other sources. Um, having said that, I mean, there's some sources that I think are really fun that I call like the gateway sources. Arda is, <laughs> the Arda is a gateway source, the, the Association of Religion Data Archives. Also, Simply Map is a wonderful gateway source. Oh, uh, we're looking at that at our university right now. It is amazing, and it's—I really like it because students, the wow factor. Students had a lot of fun finding um, uh, um, finding different uh, landfills in Long Island, I think, because it will show <laughs> landfills as blank spaces and things like that. But um, it's good because you can. It's easy to use. You can pull up things pretty quickly and get in there and use the data pretty quickly. But then you can also um, use it to talk about where is this coming from. Because a lot of it is census information. Or in some of it's external information that you would have to buy, commercial data. But um, but then you can talk about where is this coming from? Who's collecting this? How are they collecting it? Um, what are these different kinds of concepts that you would need to know to actually go to this data to find it yourself if you wanted to find a different question than this? 
or if you wanted to find more detail, because it's not a very detailed source. Um, so you don't see the breakdown of Asian Americans. You just see a percentage of Asian Americans. So you can talk about that and well, where do you go to find this a little bit more about this? Um, so for me, I, we are, we have a very unique population, I think, because we have a lot of uh, first-time university students as well as at-risk students at UNCG. And so I spend a lot of time trying to work with the undergraduates to get them comfortable with the idea of doing this. And then the faculty member kind of steps in and then helps them into that next level. I think um, at other schools, especially Chapel Hill, um, Michelle Hayslett there, and um, uh, Joel Herndon at Duke University, they do much more hands-on work than I could do at the graduate level um, and the undergraduate level with secondary data sets. It's so funny, all of these names you're named. Joel Herndon is another former Emory Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I've apparently worked with a lot of data librarians over the years. I, I didn't really think about this. <laughs> They're good resources to have in your pocket, so you can call any of us if you have a question. I have done, I think I've done so many referrals to um, data librarians over the years because, you know, I, like I said, I've got an English degree and numbers scare me and data scares me. If I want to get more comfortable um, learning some of this stuff so that I can do some of it myself instead of just doing referrals to colleagues, um, do you, you were talking about gateway data. Is there you know, some good, um, what, what do you recommend for someone like me who needs gateway data resources for, you know, um, the occasional social sciences question and things like that? How would, how would I get started educating myself about some of this? I think the best thing to do would be to figure out the census first off. I mean, just understand what's going on with the American Community Survey, um, and the census, especially the new census site, um, those two resources are invaluable to me, and I'm probably three-fourths of the question, uh, two-thirds of the questions I get asked are probably related to census or could be answered with a census or American Community Survey. Um, and just knowing what, you know, the different iterations, the different um, iterations of the American Community Survey are, understanding how they fit together, understanding how questions might change, that's really important. Also, if you are a subscriber to ICPSR, I would definitely... Um, become comfortable with this, its search mechanism, not necessarily being able to um, maybe do the data discovery part, but at least be able to search the keywords that people, based on the questions that people are asking. Um, the nice thing about ICPSR is they do a lot of tutorials, so you can actually, anybody can go and listen to their tutorials. Um, and they do a lot of um, webinars, so anybody can go to those. You do not have to be a member of the inst of the organization to do those, and they're just freely available on their website. Um, they uh, they also do a you know data a data guide, getting started with data guide. They'll even show you how to bring the data sets they have into SPSS or SAS, and so you could try practicing with that if you wanted to. It's a little bit. It's you know it's a little bit. It, yeah, it's not that hard if you follow the directions you're testing. <laughs> so, um, but it, it's a wonderful source, and there's just tons of stuff in there, like GSS is in there. Um, Census is in there, although it's not the best to use it within it. Um, they also have little tiny data sets. My favorite one was uh, called Guns and Butter. Which is <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> you were seeing that, yeah. <laughs> Which is um, a study of the colonial times and how much, I guess, how many guns and how much butter they had or something. The general um, uh, food and ammunition survey of a certain time period. So there's a lot of really fun things in there. And people deposit, faculty members have been depositing their data in ICPSR for so many years. I mean, it's been around since, I think, 63 or 64. Um, and so it has the um, the names escaping me at this point, but I'll have to think. Oh, Ames, the American National Election Survey. It originally started to house that. And so they've had, they've housed the American National, National Election Survey for years, you know, since the beginning of their... Time. And so uh, you can go and look at all of the iterations of the American National Election Survey. They also are really good about building instruction um, around them. So they have um, they, there's a project for Ains called Setups where you can go in and teach yourself how to do certain kinds of um, statistical analysis using Ains data. And you do it all online. You don't have to download any of the data. You're using it through um, what's called SDA. Um, it's just an online statistical analysis software. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's really cool. I've actually done a couple of the modules just because I had students who were using it in the class, and I needed help. They needed help. They were just kind of lost. And so I was like, all right, let me go through the modules, and I'll we'll talk through what you are doing here. Um, not giving them the answer, but just kind of saying, all right, this is really what it's kind of looking for in this part. Um, and that's been really helpful and a lot of fun, too, for me because I like that stuff. Linda, where do you go? Like, I'm always talking about how I refer, like I'll call up colleagues who I know are data services librarians, but where, where do y'all go for each other? I mean, is there a listserv? Is there a um, chat room y'all hang out at, you know, Friday night? (laughs) (laughs) Down the bar. Um, Actually there is, it's a wonderful organization. I mentioned it briefly before. It's called iAssist. Um, and let me quickly find the actual name. Is that the conference you were just at then? Yes, it okay. is. Um, it's the, they created the acronym IASSIST and then created the term to go with it, like the terms to go with it. Oh, very cute. <laughs> it's very cute, but it's also the most incomprehensible um, name. And I think it's International Association for, okay, here we go, International Association for Social Science, Information Services, and Technology. Uh, and it is the primary data profession organization out there. I don't really, you know, within ACRL, we have this one called the Numeric Data Interest Group. Um, it's we, The acronym for it is DIG. Uh, but <laughs> there's lots of great acronyms, apparently. <laughs> and you said that's within ACRL, correct? Yeah, we okay. just created it um, two years ago now, ACRL. Um and it's just an interest group, which we're trying to figure out where we're going to go next because apparently the interest groups are going to be discarded, I guess. I'm not sure eventually. So. Um, but iAssist is a really great organization. Uh, the membership, um, are they're really friendly, and obviously we know, know each other pretty well because we talk all the time. Um, and it's about 300 people. It uh, You have to be a member to be on their list, sir. Mm-hmm. Um but they're also very open to people um, asking them questions and they'll refer within the listserv. So sometimes if somebody um, 
I have a lot of colleagues that I work with who are not at UNCG around in the community, mm-hmm. and they'll ask me a question, and if I don't know the answer, I'll just go to the listserv and ask for them. Um, and that's a great way to do it. So if you know a data librarian who's a member of ISIS, it's a nice end um, to that whole entire network of right. people. Um, they've also been blogging a little bit, um, but they have a wonderful uh, journal called ISIS Quarterly that there's one issue entirely on library instruction and data instruction um, that's really good. And then there's also just a wealth of um, discussions of different data archives because it's international. So the last issue, one person talked about, I think, the, the Lithuanian or the Latvian data archive. You know, you read about the Korean data archive. So if you're ever wondering, like, if someone had asked you a question about Korean data, you might be able to contact the person who wrote this article to find out whether or not that data is available. And I've had to do that, actually. Oh, wow. Use this example in something recently that I had a student who was looking for historical statistics on New Zealand, and none of our sources had what they needed. And I think our OECD subscription had dropped at that point. Um, so I actually contacted a friend of mine who worked at Stats New Zealand, and he got me to the right person who was able to help this this patron of mine. So um, it's a very, very welcome network. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as uh, Jason's question about the main sources, those are the two things that I think are most important to, to know about. Um, and beyond that, you know, there's things like Simply Map, OECD, um, iLibrary, they have a the OECD.stat is a wonderful resource. Um, and WDI, what used to be WDI, it's now World Data Bank, the World Banks. See, I um, remember looking at that World Data Bank. Yeah, um, it's. Sorry, I thought you were Susan. No, um, I was just yeah. saying, I remember doing World Data Bank. International Monetary Fund, but again, those are things that you just don't—you don't know to go look. I mean, especially for some of those international organizations, I don't think people well, realize it's hard that it's—it's hard to know what data is in which database. Yeah, yeah, and that's before I find the right one. Yeah, and we've—you know—every data librarian has their lab guide, you know. But even then, it's hard to like. There were some things that Catherine featured in our chapter that I was like, Oh wow. I had no idea. (laughs) So It's really great. But only by having something that allows you to like one stop shop, you know, to actually go in and find that information. Um, It's definitely reassuring to hear that you haven't heard of all the data sources either. Yeah. (laughs) Gives me hope. (laughs) I don't think you can. There was a Eleanor Reed. Do y'all know Eleanor Reed? No. No. No, okay. She's the uh, data librarian at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And um, she wrote an article. She did a, an assessment of her data services and wrote an article in, I think, 2005 in RUSQ. Um, and she uh, talked about how even somebody who's been in, she had been in the profession for about six or seven years at that point. And she was like, even someone who's been in this profession for five or more years, you're going to come across new things. Because people are always gathering information. They're always gathering data. And so you can't, it's impossible for one person to always be the expert on every single thing that's out there. I mean, my expertise has really been political data and polling data. Um, I ha- and when I got into this position, the kinds of questions that I was being asked, I realized, oh my, I have to be the census for an expert because there's nobody else doing this mm-hmm. at UNCG. Um, Nobody else feels comfortable enough with the census to be able to do this kind of thing and do it all levels, like not just looking up 
basic statistics and crosstabs, but being able to work with IPMS, um, which is a project through the University of Minnesota or the Minnesota Population Center. I can put that in the Google Doc. Yeah, please. Yeah. We've been taking curious notes on the Google. Oh, yes. So this episode is going to have really long show notes. It's y'all great. Rewrite. I just saw it. Y'all are rewriting the book right here. It's like a cheat sheet for us, you know, where to go. Was... So, Linda, I know obviously you spent a lot of time working with the students on just finding the data, uh, but do you do any other aspects of data literacy? with your students? Um, yeah, well, for me, the um, I do talk about statistical literacy quite a bit in the sense of, you know, how do you interpret these numbers? It's always interesting to me, because I, I prefer in some ways, although I probably shouldn't say this, working with undergraduates, um, because they're more fun, you know, that you have, like, <laughs> you get to do more exploratory work, I think, with them, and can raise these conceptual questions in ways that um, are interesting. And, so we'll talk about how do you interpret a graph? You know, you have this graph in front of you. What is it really talking to you about? What is, you know, what are they really trying to say with numbers in here? And I think that's one thing that uh, reference librarians or any librarian should feel comfortable doing to a sense, in a sense, like how do you, when you look at this number, what is it actually telling you? When you look at this chart, what is it actually telling you? Mm-hmm. How do you know what the units are? How do you know what the scaling is? Those kinds of things. Um, it's, you know, I know everybody has their th- the things that they're really good at, but it, unless a student has able to kind of be introduced to those concepts and be introduced to this idea of what what this is actually saying to you, and when it could be saying something that is skewed or, or they're not necessarily showing you in the correct format, what you know, using a pie chart for something that's not a hundred percent, like then how do you how do you work with that um and that goes that transcends anything with data librarianship i think that's true if you're looking at an article and newspaper or anything not just in looking at a data source or looking at a numeric data base so um we do that a little bit in my classes and i'd like to do that a little bit more um i've worked with a residential college on our campus and we're creating a series of modules that we're going to going to insert into some of the core classes they have for this residential college. Um, and one of them is going to be on, on statistical literacy. That I'm, and I'm creating it with a faculty member who is um, trained more in high-level statistics. Um, and I'm kind of the patsy. I'm the one who she has to explain <laughs> down to. It works out. But um, that's still an area that I, I don't think anybody's doing a great job of it yet. And so they're you hear about people doing things on their own. They're really cool, but nobody's kind of sharing that widely. And that that's something that I would like to see more of. Seems like it would be a fun assignment, assignment just to have students find misleading statistical graphs. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, one so of the things. Many. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. One of the things I've done in a class is just have them, uh, you know, junk charts. It's a blog that talks about bad charts and bad graphs that aren't. <laughs> It's really cool. You should read it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it, uh, I've pulled a few of their charts out before. Um, and one of my favorite is always a pie chart that has like one pie being 40% and another pie being 50 and another pie being 30 and another pie being 20. And it's like, 
what is this? You know, and have students talk about why, why is this not work? You know, why is this the wrong visualization for this particular data? And um, it's a lot of fun because it makes, you know, it's not hard per se, but they really enjoy it when they get it. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, this is idiotic. This is crazy. You know, <laughs> especially because these things are coming from like the New York Times or, or what major publications will sometimes produce these. One of my favorites was another pie chart like that that was about, I mean, it's a horrible subject. It was about domestic violence, and I was looking at the percentage of domestic violence in different countries throughout the world. But there was no no reason for the pies to be the shape that they were, or the size, or positioned, and they were kind of all, it was a shattered uh, windshield and pieces of glass for the pie. And, and each of the shards were like just a country, I think, and they were different sizes, but nothing added up to 100. Um, <laughs> So that, yeah, that's always a fun one to use. I always love it when you find a, a bar chart where they've kind of cut out the bottom to make the differences <laughs> seem much greater than they are. And then you realize it's like a 1% increase right. or something. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I did a, I'll share it with you. I did a slide share with um, some students in the class recently and just found some of the, I think some were from junk charts and some from other places. Um, they, this is a class, an upper level political science class where they were going to have to take OECD data and, um, manipulate it in some way. And he asked them to create graphs and charts and whatever would be necessary to show the, make the point that they were going to make. Um, and so we just went through and talked about the different kinds of graphs and, um, when you would use them and why you would use them. And it's a, you know, it helped me to just go through and, and kind of put that out there, um, and talk about it or to write about it so that I could explain it back to them easier. But um, it was a lot of, they seemed to have a lot of fun because there were some really bad ones in that <laughs> PowerPoint. I always feel like that's one of those, definitely like you're talking about, one of those wow factor moments, like with Simply Map, um, where it's like, oh my gosh, you can really mislead people just, you know, by showing a graph that isn't accurate. Yeah, like, yeah. So few people really dig in and look at the data. To make no, because sure. I think we're so visual that we look and we, we interpret it visually and then we go on. Which is part of the problem, I think, with the, the increase in data visualization, you know, the popularity of data visualization is that people aren't, they don't really understand where the numbers are coming from. They don't really understand the scaling or what's going on within the particular map or whatever they're looking at. And you can it can be very problematic, although I love data visualization. At the same time, you got to understand what's going on behind it. Um, Is it bad for me to admit that I've actually, I've done that um, when we're like showing charts, you know, of our successes within the department, you know, like uh, grouping like fair and ex or good and excellent together versus something like that. Mm-hmm it's easier to read and simpler, but also looks better <laughs> for our department. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you run into that. Like, I think that you have to think about audience too, and what the audience is going to expect. Um, I ran into a problem with a, a report I did where they wanted to do pie charts. quite a bit, And then you <laughs> could do it. You could do it. It just, I didn't think it would visually would make sense because there were more than five pies or slices of pie. And so, yeah. Um, it was just the kind of thing where it's like, all right, well, you, this is your audience and this is your, 
ultimately this is what you want to do. So let's just do it. But, um, I, I really think state Rachel in, chart in a way that makes sense. Yes. We, we lost you. You said we, uh, oh. you, I really think, and then we it lost sounded great. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, I really, I think that, um, anyone who can take complex data and show it in a way that not only makes sense when you look at it, but informs the person. It's almost mm-hmm. an art. It's an art. You can't um, really teach it necessarily. It's just something. You know yeah. Well, it's something you 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 learn over time. I mean, I, I don't think any of us are really good at it, but I think somebody who's been doing it for a while would definitely be better. I mean, that's why I have to say is why I like Arda. Again, I know I've been pushing it a lot, but it's it doesn't need neat visualizations and in interesting ways that can grab the attention of novices of people who are not used to using any of this. And so that's why I use it for classes that are not even religion, religious studies based. I use it for clinical science classes because it has such a a nice visualization aspect. So it lets you do things, um, get into the data in a low stress, low threat kind of way. Yeah. Don't underestimate that for, for undergraduates or humanities people like me who are, like I said, scared by data. So, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so thanks uh, thanks so much, Linda, for uh, being on the podcast this month. We, I've really enjoyed it and really learned a lot. And I, Very I informative, all... yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, Linda is the author of the brand-new book, uh, Numeric Data Services and Sources for the General Reference Librarian, and uh, we will put a link to that and uh, a nice, pretty citation and all that in the show notes <laughs> if you want to check that out for yourself. And uh, we will catch you again in about a month. Thanks for listening. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.